right, well, happy holidays, Merry Christmas as it's approaching. It's good to see some people coming back into town, family members that are coming to town. My kids are here with some extra kids that are staying with us. We're glad y'all are here, uh, regardless of how we're treating you at the house. And anyway, we're finishing up 2021 with what I hope has been a really refreshing series of teachings, a, a, a series entitled Unburdened. Unburdened. I just, when I was praying for this last series, I was just taking the pulse of our culture and the people around us, and it just feels like we need this, where we are considering in this series what we call the great invitation of Jesus in Matthew chapter 11 where he says these beautiful words. They just, I love this, this invitation of Jesus. Come to me, he says. All you who are weary and burdened, and I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Learn from me, for I'm gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. I just... Love the promises that are contained in this invitation to follow Jesus. He's claiming that that you're going to find relief when you align yourself with his footsteps. When you go with him where he's going. Where you allow him to take you where he wants to take you. There's ease for the burdens in this invitation. There's a lightening of the loads here. There's rest for the weary soul. And I've found that it takes as strong as I like to appear, it takes very little. One phone call, one piece of news can make me, my soul, get weary. So we've been examining different categories of the gospel, of our followership of Jesus, different categories that really do provide relief, this very real, very experienceable if that's a word, experienceable relief. That's what we want. This isn't just some academic theological thought that we intellectually assent to. We want God. We want him to be real. We want to experience him in our lives. So I'm so grateful for my brother, Dimitri Green. I tried to catch you earlier this morning and give you a hug, but I'll have to do it later. For the powerful teaching he did last week when he talked about the relief that we find in the concept of eternity, right? Eternal life. There's, I mean, that's a big one. Knowing, just knowing that death is not the end imports something into our hearts as we live our life before the end. Just knowing that there's something more. Everything we're longing for is coming and it's gonna last forever. We import that into our hearts and it takes the worst blows of the enemy in this life and makes it bearable. It gives us this unassailable hope. Doesn't mean it's not hard. Doesn't mean we don't struggle. But it does provide this undergirding of hope that can't be touched. And I was particularly moved by Dimitri recounting the loss that he and Ruby experienced through the death of their young son. And so they stand as witnesses of the power of our gospel to do just what Jesus said following him would do. And that's lighten our loads, loads, ease the strain. I can't think of a bigger strain than losing my child. And so they stand as powerful testimonies that that great invitation of Jesus works, that it's experienceable, and it can be for you. 
Uh, so thank you, Dimitri and Ruby, for sharing not just the gospel of God, but your lives as well. One more thing about, I took Dimitri to lunch, and I was laying out this series, and I was giving him his choice of these, and I was asking if he, if he would, because I was going to have to be gone, so I needed him to make up for my absence. I'm asking a pretty big favor. Would you do this part of my job, my responsibility for me? And, and Dimitri just acted like I was blessing him. He was like, before, would you mind preaching? Yes! Yes! I mean, he wants it. He can't wait to talk about Jesus. And so I want you to just hang on to that because that inclination in him is such a, a cool thing. I mean, a lot of people I ask, and they, man, they, gotta, they gotta think about it and look at their calendars. And, you know, Demetri, I haven't told you when it is yet. And what, yet. Yes! Yes, I wanted to. He acted like it was a pleasure for him for me to ask him to do this this labor, this work. And so I appreciated that. So this week, this week, as Dole's already told you, I want to talk about great category of the gospel, central to it, the relief we find in grace. I'm undone by this topic. I, what I am not going to share that the Bible says about grace is way more than what little piece sliver I'm going to give you today. It would be difficult to overstate just how unbelievably great grace is. I could not overstate it. And one of the evidences that it is unbelievably great is how many Christians don't believe it. How many Christians hear the plain teaching of Scripture on grace and, it, and they have to put an and in there or a but in there. They push back against grace. It's just that good. Grace is so relieving to the human soul that I don't think our souls can barely believe it. It's that good. So what is this grace? What, and what does it do to address our weary souls as Christians? So here's just a few. There's so many, but I just picked a few popular verses about grace just to give you a scripture anchor on what grace is and why it's so great. Okay, and these are all from Paul. He's often called the, the, the apostle of grace because he spends a lot of time trying to unpack. Anyone who's delivering the gospel to people has to spend a lot of time explaining grace because it's just so unbelievable. So listen to this. This is how great it is. And you'll feel the relief in this. First one's in Ephesians 2.5. It is by grace you have been saved. So that eternity that Dimitri talked about last week, that's accessible to you. The, the word that the Bible decides to use to say that is the power that gets you that gift, that inheritance, is grace. So if you are saved, church, it is by this thing we're talking about today. It's grace. That's the Bible's chosen word for the power that's saving you. Titus 2 says, For the great... For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men. So that first part's a little redundant. It brings salvation. But it, you know, it's deep enough to save you. But it's broad enough to save all people. All mankind. That's how big it is. In the ocean, if you jump in the ocean, is there not room for someone else in there? There's room in the ocean for all the nations Though all the nations could fit in the ocean, there is room in the grace of God for you and for everyone. 
Grace is massive. Romans 3, 23, you've heard this one recently from me. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Pause. I don't get any argument on that. Nobody ever argues about that one. Everybody agrees. Yep, everyone, everyone has sinned and falls short of the glory of God. But this next part, and are justified freely by his grace. I get tons of pushback on that one. Not just from you, from inside of me. Second Corinthians 12 says, my grace is sufficient for you for my power is made perfect in weakness. So this begins to tell us a little bit about what grace gives us relief from, okay? It's our weaknesses. It's our being not good enough, right? My works are not sufficient for me. His grace is sufficient. We start seeing that he's trying to transfer responsibility for your well-being, your identity as a child of God, your eternal inheritance, your forgiven state. He's trying to transfer it from you, which is not sufficient, no matter what you do. You're not good enough. You can't do enough to him. He says, my grace is sufficient for you. And then he's writing, Paul's writing to his little protege, Timothy, when he says this one. Then you, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And I just picked this one because it's exposing the source of this grace, the means through which God's grace-filled heart, his lavish grace-filled heart is accessible to us. And that's through the Lord Jesus Christ. He delivers that grace through Jesus. So I was trying to think, I've done this for you before on some concepts in scripture of a word or a phrase, something short and simple that every time you read a verse that has the, the, the word grace in it, I love the word grace. It has become, I mean, I love it, but it is pretty Bible-y. It's, it's Christianese, right? Like what, we still, even though we hear it all the time and we sing it in our songs, it's amazing, grace is, right? But what is it exactly? And there's even still debate among Christians about what it is exactly. So I was like, can I give these guys a, a phrase or a word that every time you read regret, grace is used in a couple of ways in scripture, but generally speaking, can I find a phrase or words? I've done this for you with the word word. Remember this? Whenever you read the word word in scripture, the word of God or the word became flesh, you need to think Jesus, which is kind of tough, but revealing. Because when we read the word word in scripture, we think of the Bible a lot of times. It, you, you are more accurately reading scripture when you hear the word word, you think of Jesus, okay? There's a word, a Greek word for scripture, okay? It's graphe, so it says scripture. When you see it say scripture, you can think of the Bible when you read the word word. Do you see that changes everything when you read? So I'm trying to do that here for grace, and this is the phrase I came up. It, it's not fancy, it's free gift. And so I tested it with a bunch of scriptures with the word grace in it to see if it generally that would be helpful and it is so so listen to this let's just go through this again ephesians 2 it is by a free gift you have been saved titus 2 for the free gift of god that brings salvation has appeared to all men romans 3 for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of god and are just, I love this redundance, and are justified freely by his free gift. 2 Corinthians 12, my free gift is sufficient for you. 
For my power is made perfect in weakness. Second Timothy 2. For that you then, my son, be strong in the free gift that is in Christ Jesus. That is how that sounds is unbelievable and true. And true. And this is so awesome, so unbelievable, so beautiful, so relieving. I, I often ask myself, what is it that resists this? I mean, it's, it's incredible the load it takes off to take my salvation off my shoulders and let his grace, his free gift be sufficient. Why would I argue against that? I do on my down days. You do, sometimes in my office or an email. So what is it that stands against grace? What is it that's, what's the mammoth force that, that is trying to steal what grace is from me and from you? In other words, what is it that grace unburdens us of? And the best word for that is just simply law. Law, rules, moral behavior, a, a minimum amount of righteousness of some sort. That's what it is. Maybe more so obedience to law. That's what tries to steal. It's what tries to steal that whole message of grace from you and put it all back on you is the idea that you've got to earn it. That you've got to do enough to be called a son or daughter of God. That, that is, all of us deal with this. I don't know a human being that doesn't deal with this. It's difficult. Going back to this 2 Corinthians passage, we read this, his free gift, we read it as, no, it's not. His free gift is not sufficient. I've got to do something. You must act right, worship right, do right, behave right, pray right, repent right, do church right, then his free gift is yours. You see, he's not free anymore. But that seems to make sense to countless Christians, including me, on my bad days, on my unbelieving days. It's, I'm pounding this upon you, but in love, okay? I'm, it is, I want to re- relieve, it is, it is as human as human can be to, to struggle with this. Because grace is that unbelievable. It is that unreal. I don't know any Christian who hasn't dealt with this. The most mature Christians I know at some point can track back to overcoming this hurdle and receiving the gospel as a free gift. And it's difficult. And it's because, so it's very human, it's very natural to struggle with this, but the gospel is superhuman. The gospel is supernatural. And we are not supposed to take the concepts of God and bring them down here and make sense of them by our rationale. Right? We don't judge God's truths and convert those truths into what makes sense to us as humans. What's natural. We don't do that. That's not conversion. We hear the kingdom truths and we let go of what's rational and normal for humans and we believe that kingdom truth. Lynn Camp, one of our brothers here, one of my older brothers here, he saw that I was doing a series on this Matthew 11, the great invitation, I call it. He told me this book. He loves that verse. He loves that verse and has spoken on it many times. I've learned a lot about that verse from him. 
And uh, there's one, ch- I bought the book, and I, my, I mean, some books are just worth the table of contents, and this is one of those, okay? I mean, I read a few chapters here and there, but I haven't finished it, but one of the, one of the titles of the, cha- one of the chapter titles was this, that, that I thought this, it has a term that really captures this epic wrestling match between law and grace that you are in, and that I am in. And the title of the, the chapter is, Our Lawish Hearts... His lavish heart. Okay, our lawish heart. I, I went, lawish heart. That, that resonated with me as I was preparing for this week. That's what we're dealing with. We are walking around with lawish hearts. Lawishness, I don't know that's a word, but lawishness makes sense to us. It, it seems right. It's so natural to think of this. But I love this phrase because I think that's what we have. And maybe we deal with this because we live in this transactional world, right? I mean, we do. Every sing- we live in this transactional world where to get something, you pay for it. There's just nothing as more normal than that. And so we import the gospel of God into that system. Maybe it's because we live in this performance-driven world where we reward those who can perform, right? So we import the gospel of God into that. No, it's not a free gift. We, the reward, heaven or abundant life or whatever, that comes when we perform. Maybe that's why. Maybe it's because we live in this competition-based world where there are always winners and losers, right? So we take the gospel of God that's enough for all people and we import it and we need clear lines on who's winning and who's losing. I don't know. I don't know why we have these lost hearts. Those might contribute. It doesn't matter. We have them. And so the gospel is counterintuitive to us. It's something we would never dream up. If we were going to create a religion. I'm certain if, if I was going to concoct some kind of religion for the world to follow, it would include some set of rules, right? That some measurement for who's in and who's out to distinguish that. It, I would probably attach like reward to if you follow those rules and on the flip side, punishment if you don't. Like to be motivating, right? That's what, that seems like that's what I would do. Maybe even make it an eternal reward to, to really motivate you to elevate that list of rules, that law, to a place that you'll try your hardest to follow it. So here's the deal. It feels right when you say it out loud. The, our lawish hearts sound right. I'm going to do one more thing with these verses, okay? It's a free gift. That's what Scripture says. It's a free gift. But I'm going to change it with some law words. And I want you to notice how right they sound. This is a total perversion of scripture, what I'm about to say, but I want you to emotionally notice how right they sound and feel. So Ephesians 2, it is by your obedience you have been saved. Right? Titus 2, for the law of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men. Sounds right, doesn't it? Romans 3, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified freely by their obedience to the law. 
2 Corinthians 12. My law is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in obedience. Sounds right. 2 Timothy 2. You then, my son, be strong in the law that is in Christ Jesus. I'm just praying that the Holy Spirit is having the effect on you that that I'm hoping. Everything I just said is anti-scripture. And if something in you said, that sounds right, that's your lawish heart that is normal but needs to be defeated. Or you're missing the gospel. You're missing the joy. You're missing the peace. You're, you're carrying too much of a load and no mat. No wonder we're tired. No wonder we're exhausted. No man can handle that. Except one. Just one. There's this myth within Christianity. See if you've heard this. That when Jesus came and he ushered us from the old covenant, right? From the Old Testament. He transitioned us from the laws of the Old Testament and to, to be saved and to be a person of God. And he replaced it with a new covenant, a new testament, a new set of Christian laws by which we are saved. But here's the reality. Christianity is not a law-based religion. It's not. Christianity is not. Whenever I preach grace, it is inevitable that I get somebody who approaches me with some version of this. But Brian, isn't it both and? Isn't it it both and? Isn't it about grace and truth? Isn't there this verse in John that says Jesus came in in grace and truth? Don't don't you have to have both? I mean, yes, grace, but you've got to have truth as well. So isn't there a Christian set of truths as well that we need to obey in order to access that grace? And let me just pause and say, yes, indeed, there is a verse like that. It's at the beginning of John. It's an epic statement of of God about Jesus where it says this, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. You've heard me say it. Grace isn't grace without truth. Truth isn't truth without grace. But a little trick has happened. And maybe you've noticed it. If you haven't, tune in. A little trick has happened. You may have equated truth with law. So I'm about to give you the rest of the verse. Now, I'm, I, my prayer is that right now the line is cast and what I'm about to show you forever convinces you from this day forward that Christianity is not a law-based religion and that you never or flirt with that again, that you never say that in fear to someone else again because they're going to take advantage of grace, that you never do it again. Look at what this whole verse says. It says, for the law was given through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. So on one side, you have the law. On the other side, opposed to the law, you have grace and truth. Truth is not a synonym for law. As a matter of fact, since Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life, you would do better every time you read scripture and you see the word truth, you think of Jesus. Not a law, not a set of rules, not a set of principles that you have to follow unto salvation. 
Notice that grace and truth are what are on that side. But our lawish hearts try to make them the same thing. They're not the same thing. So listen to me, church. When you make Christianity a law-based religion, you make Christianity something other than Christianity. Even if you call it Christianity. (sighs) Right now, some of you, But, but isn't there, I mean, you can't just do anything you want, can you? You wouldn't be alone. You wouldn't be alone being afraid that when people hear the true gospel, the free gift that it is, you'd be afraid that that might be, but you're staying in your head. You're staying in your head because anyone who actually touches experiences the grace of God, the last thing they want to do is sin ever again. Now, if it's a work-based salvation, they're going to try, try real hard, but they're going to think that they're, they're going to have to sin at some point. Grace Only grace and belief in grace has the power to purify you. Not just forgive you, purify you from sin. It's all or nothing, church. It's a different avenue to right behavior is belief in the grace of God. Not trying real hard, hoping it earns us grace. That is a false gospel. And it does not work. I'm not the only one in here that's tried it, am I? It's exhausting. There is nothing you can do to earn your place in God's family. There's nothing you can do to earn your salvation, that eternal inheritance. But I'm asked that a lot. And Paul had the same problem in Romans, which is kind of a treatise on grace, trying to unpack this. He, he puts it out there. It, you know, he says it too much for too many people with their lost hearts. And he says, it's a free gift. He's done all the work you're going to heaven if you believe in it. And they struggle. So he says in Romans six fifteen, what then? Shall we sin because we're not under the law, but under grace? See, it, 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 this isn't a new problem that Paul was dealing with it. He says, by no means you've been set free from sin and have become slaves to righteousness. These, these people are saying, but hey man, this is awesome. I, I, uh, I'm going to sin more so I can get more grace. And he goes, you don't get it at all if that's your reaction to this news. You're not listening at a heart level, at a human level, at a need level, at a joy level, at an impactful, experienceable level. You're just staying in your head. So if you stay in your head, I do understand why you push back. But anyone who has experienced the grace of God and seen the transformation in their own heart of how they live, they're never going back. And that's what I want for you. So it's a lot of preaching. So let me end here with a story that I got from that book that Lynn told me about in that chapter. This author says, picture a 12-year-old boy. He's growing up in a healthy, loving family. And as he grows up and matures, he becomes more and more grateful for the family that he's in. And so he starts trying to figure out how to secure his place in this family. Because he won't lose it. This this family's awesome. And so so one week, 
he spends all his time scrubbing the kitchen clean. Another week, he tries, gets on the computer and tries to create a new birth certificate that, that affirms that he is a member of this particular family. And then the following week, he does everything he can to imitate his dad and to imitate his mom and his siblings. He wants to be like them because he wants to fit in to this family and doesn't want to lose this family. So after weeks, he's exhausted emotionally, physically, mentally. And so his parents come in and ask him, what are you doing? What's wrong with you? And he says, I'm just doing all I can to belong in this family. Moms, dads, what would you tell your son? What would you tell? You would, you would tell him probably something like there's nothing you can possibly do to earn your place among us, son. You did zero work to enter into this family and you can do zero work to still be in this family. It just doesn't work that way. Period. And you're just a human dad or mom. Even you would know to say that. We're dealing with a perfect, who made this grace thing up. So let me, I said that was the last thing. I got one more thing I want to do, but let me ask our elders and our ministers, go ahead and move around the room. Up, they'll be up in the balcony and around the room. Just if you need a touch today on this or on anything, that we, we want, to, we are eager to serve you. But there was one thing I was reflecting on on this whole grace of God thing and why, we, uh, why it's hard to believe. And I think one of the reasons it's hard to believe the grace of God in the way the Bible describes it is because we are too consumed with each other's versions of grace. And we're, we're called to be like God in this. We're supposed to be gracious. But I started thinking, when I, I don't always succeed, but when I succeed at issuing grace towards someone, there's a couple of crutches that I use. There's a couple of things that explain how I get there, right? So one of the ways is because I can see myself in you, right? Like anyone, any story that I've ever heard of anyone's sinfulness, the details are different, but I can relate. I can relate. And so I see myself. So I want to be gracious, right? Because I need that grace. So I want to be gracious. So it's my sinfulness that makes it possible for me to access grace towards other sinfulness. Even when it's pointed at me or those I love. That's, that's one of the ways. The other way that I can issue grace is because I haven't heard everything about your sin. Right? I don't like admitting this, but... I, we probably all have a line. There's certain categories of sin that you're probably good with forgiving, but you speak and cross the line. For some of you, that line's not far. It's just have different politics than you, and you can't forgive, okay? But, but there's a lot of things that will just, it's because I don't know everything, and if I just knew a little bit more, I might be tested in my grace. Now, why am I telling you that? When I think of God, God doesn't use either of those motivations to love us. He doesn't use either one. There's nothing in him when you sin that he goes, oh yeah, I can relate. There's nothing in him. The thing that gives me availability to be gracious towards you, he doesn't use, he doesn't need. And that's amazing to me. That is amazing grace. He has done nothing wrong ever. He will never do anything wrong. Every decision he makes is right. He doesn't have accidental words slip out of his mouth that we got to repent of later. He doesn't make mistakes. He doesn't trip up and sin. He doesn't have a weak moment and do the wrong thing. He cannot relate to any of that. 
He's perfect. And on the other side, he knows everything. He knows everything. My grace towards you might be limited because I don't know everything. But if I heard that, I might be challenged in forgiving you or being okay with you. God knows everything, and yet he still issues forth grace. This is amazing. His grace is one of a kind. It is amazing, and it's just because it's who he is. Remember when I asked Dimitri to do some work for me? He's, yes. Listen. When you go to God and you say, God, I'm, I'm too sinful. I'm, I'm going to need I'm going to need your... Yes, he says. No, no I, I'm going to need... I'm going to need my debt paid. Yes! No. God, you, let, me, let me count the ways that make this impossible for you to issue fourth grade. But I'm going to need... Yes! But, okay, but you're perfect. You're holy. You, you can't relate to this, and you deserve my perfection. If I'm going to make it, I'm going to need someone to, to, to take that death punishment that's righteous and right. I'm going to need someone to do it for me. Yes, yes, yes. He acts like the work you need him to do is his pleasure. He acts like the, the labor that you think you need to convince him to do. That he just he, he pre-planned it. He wants to give it to you. Our lawish hearts cannot handle it. But if we will open up to it, it will change everything. It will change everything for you. So, church, are you weary? Are you tired of wondering if you've been good enough to face God confidently when you die? Are you exhausted from living a life of worship and service for the purpose of being a good Christian rather than out of the overflow of gratitude? Are you sick and tired of living for the hope of salvation rather than from the guarantee of it? Then let me read to you the great invitation of Jesus, but take liberty to change it just to fit this week's category. Come to me. All you who are striving to get to heaven, and I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn about grace from me. For I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For your salvation is free, and my burden is light. But Brian, aren't there some Christian rules and laws that we're supposed to live by? And aren't they expected? Yes, church. Yes, there are. But not for the purpose of your salvation. May God bless you with what Jesus says is the work of God. Belief. Because that will be the avenue through which your whole life changes in an experienceable, measurable, and observable way. Because you are saved, not because you're trying to be. Let's stand and let's sing of this amazing grace and thank God for it.